Phil said it's difficult to sing songs that cover the life of Christ. It's difficult to preach a lesson that covers the life of Christ. As a matter of fact, I know that this lesson will fall short. It will fall short of its ultimate goal of glorifying Jesus for all he has done. For the Bible says in John 21, 25, that if all that he did was written in a book, the world itself could not contain all the books that could be written. This subject can go on as long as this world endures. But we simply try to set forth something that Matthew says about the glory of Jesus. For those of you who are visiting today, and we're thrilled to have you, we're thrilled to have your presence, but we've been studying the gospel of Matthew together on most Sunday mornings the last couple of years, and we're in Matthew 25, Lord willing, next week. But I wanted just to give an overview of things from Matthew in particular that present to us the picture of Jesus. The picture begins with the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And that first verse in Matthew 1.1 reminds us that Jesus is going to be the fulfillment of all that we've read in the Old Testament of God's glorious promises to Abraham and to David. And in Matthew 1, in that genealogy, you notice in verses 6 through 11 that many of the people mentioned, or all the people who are mentioned, are kings. For all those kings of Israel and Judah pointed ultimately to the one who was king of all kings, Jesus. And all the experiences of Israel, all the experiences in their history ultimately foreshadows Jesus, the Savior, and Jesus, the King. We are told of his birth in Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25, but this was not a normal birth. Jesus was not the product of a relationship between a human father and mother. His mother Mary conceived a child of the Holy Spirit. And Matthew 1 verses 18 through 25 stresses about four different times that Jesus was born of a virgin. The God who created the world out of nothing can give a woman a child without a human father. But this tells us about Jesus, that Jesus was man. He was man who could become hungry and thirsty, for he has a human mother, but he was also God come in the flesh. He's not just another person. He's not just another man, but he is God and man at the same time. And therefore, he is unique in human history. He is worthy of our study and worthy of our adoration. And from his beginning, Jesus is going to attract attention from faraway places. 
As the Magi from the east in Matthew 2 see his star and come to worship him, he's going to attract attention from faraway places, and they're going to be people that we would expect to be excited who may not be. When Herod hears that these Magi have come to find the one who was born, the king of the Jews... He is troubled, and all Jerusalem is troubled. Jesus is going to be accepted by strange people and rejected by strange people. He was born in Bethlehem of Judah, just as the prophets said in Micah 5 and verse 2. And the Bible teaches us that these magi come and bow at his feet and bring him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. But the efforts to destroy Jesus are intensified by Herod the Great who cannot tolerate a rival for the throne. And so he determines to eliminate this child as early as he can. And the angel of the Lord warns Joseph to go to Egypt to take the child, to take his mother. The Old Testament land of bondage becomes the New Testament land of refuge. As he goes to Egypt in order to hide out from Herod's wrath, After these events in the early life of Christ, we don't find anything about Jesus until he's about 30 years old. And in all the Gospels, we only find one event from Jesus, these early years of Jesus. In Luke chapter 2, we read an event that took place when he was 12 years old. But Jesus was proclaimed by a powerful preacher, a bold preacher by the name of John the Baptist. And John came calling people to repentance. But he said, as for me, I baptize with water. The one who's coming after me will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And I am not worthy to untie, to remove his sandals. And Jesus came to John to be baptized. And the Bible tells us in Matthew 3 that there's a voice from heaven. It says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus is proclaimed as God's son. He is God's son. He is his servant. Father, son, and spirit are all pictured in that scene at the end of Matthew chapter 3. But Jesus is driven to the wilderness to be tempted by the devil as the devil seeks to destroy God's plan of salvation. But each time he throws temptation in Jesus' way and tries to stop Jesus from saving the world, Jesus points to Scripture. It is written. It is written. There are nine chapters of Matthew which are devoted to Jesus' teaching. 5 through 7, 10, 13, 18, and 23 through 25. In another gospel, in John 7, some are going to come to arrest Jesus and they're going to come back 
and explain why they didn't arrest him. And they say there was never a man that spoke like this man spoke. He was a teacher without equal. He was a teacher who taught a different value system than the rest of the world. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. His values are not the world's values. When the disciples ask him, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom in Matthew 18 in verses 3 through 6, he says, it's one who will receive a little child in my name. One that shows consideration to the least significant and the least important. And when Jesus' disciples were jockeying for positions in the kingdom and wanting to be on his right and in his left in the kingdom, Jesus said, the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their, exer- their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not so among you, for the one who is going to be the greatest among you will be servant. Jesus taught a different value system than others taught. And Jesus taught a high standard of living. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit murder. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. Not only must you avoid murder, but you must avoid those attitudes that lead to it. Not only must you avoid fornication and adultery, but you must avoid those attitudes that lead to it. You have heard that it said that you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks upon a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. Jesus taught a high system of morality. And Jesus Jesus said, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He taught a high standard of living. He taught in parables He took simple everyday stories to drive home profound spiritual truths. He could find, he could look out and see a sower sowing his seed in the field and tell us that that pictures the different responses of hearts to him. But I tell you what else he talked about. He talked about himself in his teaching. He taught differently than other teachers taught. After Jesus finished his Sermon on the Mount, the crowd marvels. The crowd marvels because he didn't teach like the scribes and Pharisees. He didn't quote an endless number of sources and say, listen, check this out, check this writer out, check this speaker out. He didn't do that. He said, you have heard it said, but I say to you. And as I've said before, I teach more 
like the scribes and Pharisees than Jesus in that respect. And you do too when you teach. My point is not that they were right in everything they taught, but we as human beings have to study and have to learn and we have to figure out what things say and we have to appeal to sources. But Jesus was his own source. I can't do that. I can't just say, but I say to you and it apply to you. I have to say, this is what the Lord says. And appeal to him. But Jesus could speak, I say to you. You know why he could teach that way? And you know why I can't? He could teach that way. Because he was God. Come in the flesh. And he stated that our eternal destiny depends upon our response to him. As he said in Matthew 7 in verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. For on that day many will say to me, He, he, he is the difference between whether we're saved and whether we're lost. Our response to him never a man spoke. Like he spoke. But he invited all of us to come unto him. Come unto me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He invites everyone, but he calls us. To be his disciple. If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Why should we believe that he was God come in the flesh? Why should we listen to him when he says, you have heard it said, but I say to you, why? Why do we listen? We listen, one of the reasons we listen is because he did many great miracles in order to back up the fact that he was indeed God come in the flesh. When lepers came to him, they were cleansed. He cast out demons, even ferocious demons, that terrified everyone else. He opened the eyes of the blind. He made the paralyzed walk. He even controlled the winds and the waves. And the disciples who had seen him do other astonishing works, when Jesus said to the winds and waves, be still, and suddenly they died down, they asked themselves, who is this that even the winds and waves obey him? He could cause the blind to see. He could cause the lame to walk. He could say to a man who was lowered down in a roof from a roof before him, 
A paralyzed man, he could say, son, your sins are forgiven. But he said that you may know that I have the authority to forgive sin. I say to the paralyzed, arise and take up your bed and walk. And immediately he walks. And Jesus can take a meager amount of food. Five loaves and two fish. And feed 5,000 men. And then do the same thing with almost equally limited supplies and feeding 4,000. No one did the works that he did. There are some that find these miracles hard to believe because they're not in their experience. The very reason he attracted such a following his day is because it wasn't common to those people's experience either. But when John the Baptist was in prison in Matthew 11 not understanding all that was happening and sent a message to Jesus and said, are you the one to come or should we look for someone else? Jesus said, go and tell John what you see and hear. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The deaf hear and lepers are cleansed. And the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is the one who does not stumble over me. His teaching was remarkable. His miracles literally awe-inspiring. And they attracted all kinds of people. All kinds of people. They attracted Gentiles. In Matthew chapter 8, there was a man who came to Jesus whose servant needed to be healed. And he was lying sick and at the point of death. And he said, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. I know that you can just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I say to one man, I'm a, I'm a man under authority. And I say to this one, do this and he does it. And do that and he does it. And I know you can just speak the word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus marveled at the faith of this Gentile. The farthest Jesus ever ventured, the farthest Jesus ever ventured from his home seems to be when he went to the area of Tyre and Sidon in Matthew 15. And there he's met by a woman, a Gentile woman, whose daughter is severely demon-possessed. And she's begging Jesus, please, And after an interesting interaction, he says, may it be done to you according to your faith. He attracted all kinds of people. And tax collectors who were notorious as thieves, Jesus calls one of them named Matthew or Levite. He says, follow me. And he left everything 
And follow Jesus in Matthew 9, 9 through 13. And Matthew calls a party for his new friends, uh, for his old friends to meet his new friends, Jesus. And, And some are astonished. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? But Jesus said, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. But my friend, above all, he came to die. He came to die and be raised from the dead. Do you remember in Matthew 2, verse 11, when he was born, they brought him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Do you know where else myrrh is mentioned in the Gospels? It is mentioned in Mark fifteen twenty three as them offering Jesus a drink of this when he was on the cross. And it's mentioned in John nineteen thirty nine when they used this in the burial of Jesus. Even the gifts that were brought to him in his birth foreshadow his death. In Luke 2, verse 7, the Bible says, when Jesus was born, she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger. That's Luke 2, verse 7. And when Jesus is crucified in Luke 23, verse 53, they wrapped him in a linen cloth and laid him in a tomb. Jesus was born to die. In fulfillment of all the prophecies of Isaiah 53 that Craig alluded to earlier, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He came to die for what you have done wrong, and for what I have done wrong. He came in spite of the fact, as Josh said in the prayer, we were dirty and despicable and had done all evil. And yet, he came to save us. He came to die for our sins as it was announced in Matthew 1 verse 21. They shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. All the Old Testament sacrifices ultimately find their fulfillment in him. But I'll tell you a miracle I didn't mention a moment ago. I didn't mention another miracle Jesus did. In some ways, the most most awe-inspiring of all the miracles. I didn't mention that Jesus raised the dead. But you ask, how could they kill one who could raise the dead 
they couldn't have unless he let them. But when his disciples drew the sword when he was arrested, he said, put up your sword. Those that live by the sword will perish by the sword. Don't you know that I could pray to my father and he would send more than 12 legions of angels, but the cup the father has given me, I must drink it. And no doubt as he died on the cross, his enemies rejoiced. They were rid of him. But that would not be the end of this story. For Jesus constantly warned his disciples that he would be raised again from the dead. In Matthew 16, 21, he begins talking about the fact that he's going to be be killed by the religious leaders of the nation, rejected and be killed, but he always emphasizes he will be raised on the third day. Death cannot keep his prey, Jesus my Savior. He tore the bars away, Jesus my Lord. And in Matthew 28, as the women come to the tomb on the first day of the week to finish anointing the body, they, they do not find the body of Jesus But they find the angels telling them, he's alive. And Jesus met with them after his resurrection. And he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. For lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. As it has well been stated, all the armies that have ever marched and all the navies that have ever sailed and all the parliaments that have ever met, all the kings that have ever reigned combined have not affected life on this earth as powerfully as this one Solitary life. I, we were not worthy of such love. But praise God for it. And we still seek to proclaim his word, trying to go make disciples and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If we can assist you in that, we invite you to come as we stand and sing. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond the
I know I did not give book, chapter, and verse for a lot of things today, and Beth was kind enough this morning to run off about 20 copies of this with the verses. If not otherwise identified, the verses are all from the Gospel of Matthew. And so there are about 20 of these outside. Feel free to take one. If we need more, uh, we will run off more. But feel free to look at these and compare uh, the biblical verses that teach the points that I make. Let's pray together before we're dismissed. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning in need. We all come from different circumstances. We all come to you in different stages of life. We all come before you having come short when we rely on ourselves. We recognize that no matter how much we make in our jobs, no matter how much we care for our physical body, no matter how much we respect we command in our communities or our job or our home, that we still find ourselves in need. We read in your word, Lord, that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Be with, be with us as we, as we leave. Give us strength to hold fast to your word and flee from sin. We thank you for Jesus and his perfect life and his decision to take on our sins and death. And we pray all this in his name. Amen. One more thing, folks, before you leave, uh, just, uh, just before the end of services here, a gentleman showed up at the front door. He was one of the recipients of one of the free Bibles that we were handing out yesterday. He, his wife, and his daughter, and he wanted to give us a thank you, so he gave us a contribution and then a couple boxes of donuts that I need to get rid of. <laughs> so they're, they're right inside the, uh, the door they're going into where the nurseries are if anybody would like some fresh donuts. And thank you to everybody that contributed for the... Bibles and for those that work to hand them out. God bless you.